Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A park ranger job. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. John Irwin was traveling through a deserted road within the forest and had reached a spot where the Mullica River and next to the road went up ahead. His headlights shone on a large dark figure that was emerging from the woods and was moving into the roadway. As he got closer, the figure stood in front of the car blocking the roadway. Irwin had to stop his car in order to avoid hitting the creature. The creature was described as being over six foot tall and covered with black fur that looked wet and matted. It appeared not to have any forelegs, but had a pair of huge, powerful hind legs. The creature glanced through the windshield of the car, revealing two piercing red eyes. It stood a few minutes then, turned and continued across the road, walking upright like a human in a peculiar robot-like fashion. For years, I worked top security clearance at a military base deep in the foothills in Montana. I need you to hold on for me and swallow the pill because things I worked on out of this base were straight out of a science fiction flick. I'm talking particularly about time travel, part of the project I had a hand in playing. I won't say which because our team was larger and I don't want to be singled out by what I did, therefore getting traced back to me but we helped the military and government establish a connection to what we now know as alternate realities or universes, something that is newer to pop culture. But back in the 70s and 80s, it was a groundbreaking top secret discovery. These are realities that coexist within our own timeline, but things have been slightly altered. It was my understanding while working on the project, we were not able to go back in time and affect our own timeline, but the timeline of other realities was something we could do. One interesting thing is the few people they did send back. Many of them had to be treated medically before being sent back. 
The reason being the bacteria in the air and around you and around people change from time to time. For example, if you were to go back right now to 1623, you would probably die pretty quickly due to an overload of foreign bacteria your body is not used to. Sure, you do have an immune system, but there's no way you would be able to build up an immunity fast enough to survive. Even going back to simply 1920, one can kill a man. Let's just say that there were procedures done on our subjects to ensure this went fine. Many of our subjects died during the course of having their atoms disintegrated while going to, but some were successful. It wasn't so much as time portals as it was a gateway to another space and time. Think of it like harnessing the power of a black hole. In essence, we were simply bending space and time to visit other planes. There were no major missions to go back and change the course of history, rather just experiment to control the technology. And I have that, the Chinese government has been working on this technology for years, and we were told when we were successful, they are actually ahead of us by about three. They have already apparently changed multiple timelines, which by the way, there are several billion, and that's a fairly low estimate. When subjects are sent back to a specific time frame, they are medically prepped for that era as well as stripped of all clothing and are aesthetically equipped for their time. This way they can blend in seamlessly without drawing attention to themselves. The purpose of all this is, from what I've been told, is to gather large amounts of intel. The Chinese government is using this technology for more nefarious and selfish reasons. We had a test campaign once our equipment proved to be successful with going back over 70 years in the alpha phase. We, well, I guess you can say changed the timeline permanently. One mission, for example, was going back in October of 1942, months before the events of Pearl Harbor, and completely washed away the island of Japan using advanced sonar weaponry, causing massive earthquakes and tsunamis all around the island. This was just to prove the type of power and potential that we had. It was an experiment run. Safe to say, within six days of our first subject going back to that time period, Japan ceased to exist, and therefore Pearl Harbor had never happened and changed the entire course of modern history after that, for that timeline. Our man was pulled back in, whatever events have taken place in that timeline since. We will never know. I need to be very careful now with how much information I release. So for this time, I'm going to stop here and let you digest that. I'll try and follow up shortly, but I have to be careful. Take care. I had been on solo hunting trips before, but this one felt different from the start. The Texan forest was vast and I knew there were plenty of deer to be found deep within the woods. The day was pleasant, and the sunlight filtered through the leaves, creating a patchwork of shadows on the forest floor. As I ventured further into the wilderness, the trees grew denser, and the sunlight gradually faded away. I followed a narrow, winding path, trusting my instincts to lead me to a good hunting spot. But then something caught my attention. A strange rustling sound broke the otherwise serene ambience. I froze my senses on high alert. With every cautious step I took, the rustling grew louder and more distinct. My heart pounded in my chest as I pushed through the thick undergrowth, curiosity overcoming my initial fear. That's when I saw it, a large, dark figure walking upright through the trees, directly in my direction. My instincts kicked in and I quickly turned and sought refuge behind a nearby tree. My breaths were shallow and rapid as I peered from behind the trunk to catch a glimpse of the mysterious creature. To my horror, it was merely ten feet away from me, and the details of its appearance sent shivers down my spine. The creature was black, darker than the shadows around it. It stood slightly shorter than me, but had a muscular build, and there was no visible neck connecting its massive head to its body. It moved with a strange grace, as if it was accustomed to stalking through these woods undetected. 
As it stopped at the tree I was hiding behind, it lifted its head, and I noticed it had no visible eyes. Instead, its nose pointed upward, sniffing the air intently. My heart pounded louder, and I could hear my blood rushing in my ears. Fear held me in its grasp, rendering me motionless. I dared not make a sound, terrified that even the slightest noise might attract its attention. My fingers clutched the rifle in my trembling hands, but I couldn't bring myself to take aim. In an agonizing moment, the creature turned around and walked away, seemingly uninterested in my presence. It moved with a casual, almost nonchalant gait, disappearing deeper into the forest, as if it had never been there. My body felt numb with terror as I finally released the breath I didn't realize I had been holding. Unable to comprehend what I just witnessed, I hesitated to leave my hiding spot. Eventually, I mustered the courage to step out cautiously, my mind racing with questions and uncertainty. As I resumed my hunt for deer, I couldn't shake off the image of that enigmatic creature. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, I spotted a deer grazing not too far away. My fear had subsided enough for my hunting instincts to kick back in. I aimed carefully, held my breath, and pulled the trigger. The loud crack of the gunshot filled the air, and the bullet missed the target. Deer escaped, fading away into the forest once again, confused and shaken. I decided it was best to retreat. I made my way back home, the encounter with the mysterious creature replaying in my mind over and over. When I returned, my wife eagerly asked if I had hunted anything. I couldn't find the words to describe what I had seen, so I remained silent, knowing that some secrets were best kept hidden deep within the heart of the secluded Texas forest. In the dark depths of the Pine Barrens, I was working alone in the park one night when my radio came to life. This is right after a fellow ranger told me about seeing a strange orange light above the trees, right around 2 a.m. the previous week. His story kind of freaked me out, so naturally I was a bit nervous myself patrolling the night woods. Curiosity got the best of me, and I decided to keep my radio on with low volume so I could hear chatter coming over the airwaves. Now I had my dog at my side, an older German shepherd named Sasha, trained in search and rescue. She was a very loyal companion, even though she couldn't do much more except keep me company. We patrolled for about an hour when my radio came to life again with reports of something attacking hikers just outside on Route 560. Three, I'd parked the vehicle along the road, hiked into that section of trail armed with nothing but a pistol, two canisters of pepper spray, bear spray, my flashlight, and Sasha by my side, who was now on high alert and whatever courage I could personally muster up. We walked for nearly five minutes in the perimeter of the woods. Sasha kept sniffing at the air, whining. Something was definitely on her mind. Suddenly she let out a yelp and took off into the brush. And without warning, I had to use all my strength to hold on to her leash as she dragged me through briars and thorns, until she stopped dead in her tracks. Almost one hundred feet away from where we were, I could not see her, but I could hear her growling and whimpering. I managed to get a glimpse of something. It was big and moving really fast. At this point, both of us were terrified. Sasha's fur standing straight up on edge and my heart pounding so hard against my chest, I thought it would burst at a moment. My radio squawked again. We just received another call about an attack near the South Lake in the Pine Barrens. The volume was down low enough that I could only hear it just clearly. I told myself that whatever it was must have been close, and knowing my luck, which exactly wasn't running high at the moment, I would run into this thing. And then I heard the howling right off to my right. Sasha had already begun going crazy, yelping and growling like mad. Well, I did the only thing I felt could save us. I whistled for her, and we both took off in a full sprint away from this thing, Sasha leading the way and being so much faster than I. 
At this point, every time we stopped moving, it would begin chasing us, and I lost sight of Sasha in the darkness, but kept on running through the briars and bramble, trying to come up to her. I had fallen into some briar where my ankle swelled up really bad. I was bleeding. What's worse, I could hear something very big trailing behind me. I reached for my radio to let dispatch know what happened. It was gone. Sasha's leash and collar were there, but no radio. I looked around frantically in the dark of the night until a howl and growl both came down below, right where I just was. That growl is 100% confirmation that I did indeed see something back there that I could not wrap my mind around. It sounded like a very large wolf, but I wasn't exactly sure. Any doubts about this creature's existence had completely evaporated in my mind as what I can only imagine as a monster became a nightmarish reality. Luckily for me, I found Sasha and retreated back to my vehicle. It seemed that the attacks had died down and whatever creature this was, which I'm pretty sure was not a normal wolf or bear, disappeared entirely. Luckily, I never saw it but this experience is still fresh in my mind, even though it's been years. I've never felt so uneasy at my job before. I'm never going back to that section of woods again. My husband was on his way to work around 4 a.m. on a rural road while rounding an S-bend when his headlights hit a large, dark brown figure that was sitting about 30 feet off the road, watching the road. He described the figure as about four feet tall, sitting with legs bent out in front of it, wolf-like face, large pointed ears, does not remember eye shine, leaning back on human-like arms. My husband immediately felt endangered and floored his vehicle's accelerator. This man has no fear of humans. I've known him for 30 years and have never seen him afraid of a natural being. He's hunted in fish since childhood. It took him a couple of years before he told me about this sighting. He said his first thought was that thing can catch this car, rip me out and eat me if it wants to. He was paranoid and had his head on a swivel all that day. Still, to this day, he cannot drive past that location without feeling some kind of way. The second sighting occurred in 2010 and happened to a co-worker. I noticed she was acting strangely whenever we talked about spooky things, so I asked her what was up. She said, okay, don't think I'm crazy. Then she went on to tell me uh, how one night she was driving home from a late second shift between midnight. 1 a.m., about five or so miles from where the first sighting occurred, she had to slow down to a near stop to turn onto a road that would take her home. That's when she began to hear what sounded like running alongside her car. That's when she glanced out her driver's window and saw the most horrible face. Her first thought was werewolf. She described it as being black and gray in color with large teeth. She said she didn't look again, but could hear it running next to her car until she reached 45, 50 miles per hour. That's no joke on a back road. She was scared out of her wits. After arriving home, she ran to the door, dropped the keys, went inside, closed all the curtains, and did not sleep a wink that night. We're both nurses, and I've known her for about seven years. She grew up in New York City and is not a storyteller. Neither of these people likes to talk about their sightings. You can see a change in them when their encounters are brought up. I don't need to see one to believe them. I know they exist. I live in Iowa, and during the Persaid meteor shower, I decided to drive out of town to get a good look without the light pollution. I found a nice gravel road and sat down in my lawn chair with a beer to enjoy the show. After about an hour, I hear footsteps walking toward me on the gravel road. There were no houses for several miles from where I was. I could see a form of a very hairy man walking towards me. I yelled to him in a friendly voice to let him know what I was doing and received no answer. Greeted him again, no answer. When he was about 20 yards away, he started to dig, and I saw red glowing eyes. 
I noped right the F out tire there. In the brake lights, I could see a form, but no detail. I was staying in a large folly, in this case, a fake Castle Peckforton in the United Kingdom, if you want to look it up. Anyways, a bunch of us were supposed to leave the site in the evening and go for a drink in the local pub. I was told the van taking us would be down by the main gate. That's off I walked. It's about half mile downhill through the woods. By the time I got to the gatehouse down by the road, it was nearly pitch black and they were long gone. So I waited for a bit, just in case, and then started to walk back up to the castle. After a couple of minutes, I just got the feeling of being watched. I looked behind me, and on the path, I thought maybe there was something the size of a cat, maybe. I carried on, walking, freaking out a little bit. I looked back again, and now there was maybe five things on the path. Maybe I sped up, and then I heard noise. There was definitely something following me. It was in the woods on both sides of the path. I looked behind again just as the moon came out from the clouds, and there were the shapes on the paths and the trees, these gray lumps, dozens, and dozens. Of them, I just ran. I heard them scuffling and scratching as they ran. But sheer terror gave me a huge amount of speed, and I left them in the dark and ran into the castle. Never have I been more pleased to see people. When I was a child, I was out hunting with my father deep in the Appalachian woods. It was getting late afternoon when we ran across what appeared to be an old overgrown logging road of some sort. We followed it up a hill and around a bend to find it blocked by a large fallen tree. We heard a terrible crashing sound from the part of the road we just came up and saw two very large black cat-like animals racing side by side up the road. I'd never seen anything like it before or since. They were sleek and all black, not making any sounds but their feet. My dad threw me behind the fallen tree and set himself up with his rifle, aiming back the way we came. But these animals never appeared. We never saw them again or heard the go off into the woods at all. Could this be crawlers? A park ranger who's been doing this a long time, he told me about an incident while escorting some Boy Scouts out of the park at dark. To get them to their cars, he had to cross a creek that was roughly four feet deep and just over three feet wide. As he approached the water's edge with his flashlight, there were large sounds from both sides of him, growling from up in the surrounding cliffs. It sounded something like a big bear and a wolf, but much deeper. He told me it was the scariest thing he's ever heard. Even though they weren't exactly close, he knew whatever it was sounded big and it was not going to let him pass without taking a swipe at him or potentially chasing him off. So he angled his flashlight beam to light up the water surface, shouted at the boys crossing, stay away from the edge of the creek, hurry or we'll be here all night. They got across safely by jumping, and as soon as they were out of sight, he heard a loud crashing sound in front of him. He kept shining his light straight away, but never saw anything. He got to just that whatever it was, it was trying to stay hidden in the darkness. He didn't think much about it, though, until a few years later, when I asked if he's ever seen anything creepy after dark. He said no way whatsoever. I've been doing this for years, and there is something very spooky about that stretch of land, especially past sunset. In fact, that following summer, yet another ranger was going to check on a family, a mom, dad, and son, all hikers. He thought they were still out near the same area. When he got close enough to their campsite, he saw all three sets of tent footprints coming across the creek, but only one set going back into the woods. He found them all dead, and he had to write down that it was an attempted mauling by a bear, but they had been partially eaten. Even that Boy Scout troop leader said what he saw resembled what looked to be a large wolf, and he believes it's the infamous Michigan dogman. Anyway, you really don't want to go camping in these parts at night. The woods just are not really safe anymore.
I was part of the search and rescue for a while, but that job changed. I became a park ranger and went to the Forest Service for that. Well, one day I was out with my buddy, whom we'll call Jake. He's a fellow ranger, but a newbie. We had been told of some strange activity around this area right before a shift had begun. One of us had asked if they could give us more info on it or anything to go off of, but there really wasn't much to go off of. On our way out of patrol, something happened that still gets me sick thinking about. We were riding along in the truck, one minute just talking about stuff when we came up to some footprints near the road. These got our attention, and naturally so. The tracks were humongous, crossing into the woods across where we were driving down this back road. I stopped and got out to see what they were, which, yeah, was a dumb idea if you ask me. Jake stayed in the truck, watching where I went. We couldn't talk because of radio silence and the fact that we had to be quiet, listening for anything unusual at all times. The tracks looked like they belonged to some large animal. They reminded me of those found near coyote skinning sites or something similar. I'm not saying skinwalkers exist, but it just seems strange with all this stuff going on, as well as these prints being so close to the sighting reports we had received earlier that day from dispatch. We made note of them and left them alone, but we followed our usual patrol route, moving further away from the road until we got to an area where some cabins were located. That's when we heard this whooping sound that was echoing off in the trees around us. It sounded like it was coming from all around, not just one direction or area, but omnipresent everywhere at once. It was coming from the woods and bouncing off of things, making it sound everywhere. We stopped to see what kind of animal can make this type of noise and still have so much echoing going on at the same time. I looked over at Jake, who had his rifle promptly aimed in every direction, looking for whatever could make that noise. He was obviously spooked by this thing we knew wasn't normal. I looked back just in time to see red eyes glowing at me from roughly about a hundred feet away through the trees. I could tell it was looking directly at us, and it made me freak out even more than before. The creature then dropped down on all fours and began moving towards us fast, like nothing you would ever want to go up against in real life or death. I knew that thing wasn't any kind of animal either. It didn't move right, for one thing, and its red eyes were glowing like some sort of monster out of a movie. It seemed like it was attached to some sort of demonic monster as we could see its shape start to form as it came out of the trees. Jake looked over after seeing the eyes, too, and let off a shot, hitting it in the shoulder. It was kind of hard to tell in the dark, but it looked like it might have gone down, or if anything, disappeared into the woods without making another sound. It vanished like it was never there. I told Jake to get ready for this thing to come back as it screamed at us and let out this hellish howl coming from the same kind of creature. What were we dealing with? We tried to search for it afterward, looking for any blood trails or tracks, along with anything else we could find to explain this thing. But we came up empty, handed, no matter how long we stayed out there searching. That's when we finally got the word out to get out there and get back to the station as quick as possible. Something was going on this patch that could not be explained to anyone. We never talked about this again or brought it up, but I know Jake still gets a little freaked out even now, thinking back to it even after all this time has passed. Not counting those things he saw before getting me involved in any of this. I didn't believe him at first, but I knew what he saw wasn't normal especially after hearing that awful noise coming from nowhere, like an animal that nobody would want to run into. It could have been anything as far as we knew, but I knew it wasn't good. This thing was going to come after us, knowing whatever was out there probably knows I work here now, and it makes me nervous wondering what will come next. I know that this thing isn't going to attack this place, since every time it showed up, we were always armed and prepared. But maybe we'll make the mistake of going out there unarmed one day, being vulnerable and caught by this thing.
It was a hot and humid day in Texas as our Navy SEAL team set out on what was supposed to be a routine training exercise. We were deep in the heart of the wilderness, far from civilization, conducting drills near a mysterious black lagoon that had an eerie aura about it. Little did we know that this day would turn out to be anything but routine. As we approached the lagoon, we noticed an unsettling stillness in the air. The water looked murky and dark, giving off an eerie vibe that sent a shiver down my spine. We exchanged glances, a silent acknowledgement that something was not right. As we cautiously stepped closer to the lagoon, the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. That's when we saw it, a pale, human-like hand emerging from the water. It had large claws and shiny, glass-like skin covered in a clear liquid that seemed to glisten in the sunlight. We knew we were dealing with an unknown creature, and the tension in the air thickened. My heart pounded in my chest as the creature slowly revealed itself. It had a large, terrifying face with milky white skin and eyes that seemed to pierce through our souls. Its bluest veins under the eyes were like intricate patterns of power and dread. I couldn't tear my gaze away even as my mind screamed at me to flee. The creature's tongue, long and serpentine, was the only thing moving other than the trees swaying in the wind. Its antlers, black like mold, sprouted from its head, adding an alien aspect to its appearance. This massive deer-like humanoid stood before us, towering at a height of seven to eight feet. It exuded an aura of primal power and ancient malevolence. Fear gripped us all, but we were Navy SEALs, trained to face the most formidable adversaries. With adrenaline coursing through our veins, we readied our weapons, knowing that our survival depended on it. The creature roared, a bone-chilling sound that reverberated through the air and charged towards us. The battle was fierce, and we fought with all our strength, each move precise and calculated. The creature's agility surprised us, and its claws were capable of tearing through our gear effortlessly. We could sense that it was not just a mindless beast. It was intelligent, cunning, and intent on surviving. Through sheer determination and teamwork, we managed to land a critical blow, and the creature collapsed to the ground. Its deathly cry echoed in the wilderness, making the very earth tremble. We had won but the price had been high. Some of our team members were injured, and the lagoon had turned into a pool of blood and turmoil. As we regrouped to analyze the creature and understand what we had faced, our commanding officer arrived at the scene. His stern face showed a mix of curiosity and concern as he demanded an explanation for the chaotic situation. Hesitant but honest, we recounted the events that had unfolded. To our surprise, the commander laughed, dismissing our story as an elaborate prank or a result of heat-induced hallucinations. Anger and frustration welled up within us as he accused us of lying, questioning our integrity. Determined to prove the truth, we led our commander to the corpse of the creature. However, as we arrived at the lagoon, our hearts sank. The creature's lifeless body was nowhere to be found. It had vanished without a trace, leaving only the eerie stillness of the black waters. The commander's expression turned grim, and he ordered us to conduct a thorough investigation. What was initially treated as a mere training exercise had now become an enigma, a mystery we couldn't ignore. We combed the area, analyzing every piece of evidence, but the creature had left no physical trace of its existence. As the sun set, we stood at the edge of the black lagoon, the unsettling silence engulfing us. We knew the truth of what we had encountered, but without evidence our tale would remain just that, a story. This story happened to one of my dad's friends, Everett, so here it goes. When most people think of Bigfoot, they think of some nice hairy creature that walks around the woods, has big feet, and doesn't like getting his picture taken. These people are dead wrong. Everett and his friend Milo were hunters. Ever since they were 16, they would go on hunting trips together. 
However, now being experienced adults, they were no longer hunting deer. This weekend, like most, they were going bear hunting in the mountains of Montana. Now, if you don't know how bear hunting works, what you do is you go to a butcher shop. Here they will have plenty of scraps from the meat that day. Pig guts, cow skin, chicken blood, eck. They would take these scraps from the butchers, put them in big five-gallon buckets, and strategically space them out in the forest about a mile away from each other. Then they would hike between each bucket, hoping to see a bear with his head in the bucket, waiting to get shot. So Saturday evening, around noon, they get the buckets, get their guns, put them in their truck, and drive to their hunting spot. Everett and Milo each grab two buckets and their guns and walk into the forest. About two miles north from the car, Milo placed his first bucket in a little clearing, surrounded by forest. They then walk straight east, about a mile, and Everett placed down the second bucket. Then a mile north placed the third bucket. And finally a mile west, and they placed the last bucket. Now they had a big square of buckets filled with guts that they could walk around to. The day passes without incident. They spend almost the entire day walking between the buckets, and they don't see a single trace of a bear. So around 7 o'clock, it starts to get dark. So they decide they will do one more loop between the buckets and then head home. They walk to the second bucket. No bear. They dump out the guts and bring the empty bucket with them. The same thing for the third bucket and the fourth. They're very discouraged and think that they'll go home empty-handed as they walk to the last bucket. But as they approached around 9 p.m., the birds fell silent. This was a very good sign and usually meant that there was a bear nearby. As they got closer, Everett smelled something horrendous. It smelled like rotting meat, and it definitely wasn't their buckets. With their hopes high and their noses covered, they carefully and quietly approached the edge of the clearing. In the middle, surrounded by trees eating out of the bucket, was the biggest bear they had ever seen, with its back to them. It must have been ten feet if it was on its hind legs. With Milo holding the buckets at the time, Everett grabbed his rifle and scoped in on the bear. Getting a closer look, and this thing, he realized something. It wasn't eating with its head in the bucket, like most bears do. It was scooping handfuls of guts into its mouth, using its hands. The fur of it also looked like nothing he had ever seen before. It was matted all over, and looked like it had things stuck in it. Everett turned towards Milo and pointed at the bear. Milo shrugged and tried to make a shooting motion. Everett aimed his gun back at the thing and got ready to shoot. Then Everett heard something behind him. The thunk of a bucket hitting the ground. Through the scope, Everett saw the bear immediately stop eating and turn its head and look straight into Everett's eyes. This was no bear. The creature's face, dripping with blood, was almost human, light, flaring nostrils, mouth open with guts falling out. They were petrified with fear. The thing charged and human instinct kicked in. Milo dropped the buckets and they ran. They ran as fast as they could towards the car, but close behind them they could hear the thing running after them. But it didn't sound like a bear crashing through the brush. It sounded like a human running on two legs. This just encouraged them to run faster. After sprinting in pure fear through the pitch-black forest for 15 minutes, the only thing keeping them running from the creature was the adrenaline pumping through their veins. They were close. They must have been five minutes from the car when, from behind Everett, he heard Milo trip on a log. Everett kept running. He heard the steps of the creature stop, but he kept running, and then through his crashing footsteps, he heard Milo's blood-curdling, heart-wrenching scream. It took all his willpower to not turn around for his friend. Finally, he reached the edge of the forest and saw his truck. He ran to the driver's side, got in and locked the doors. He waited in complete silence and fear for Milo. He waited for five minutes. For ten minutes. For fifteen minutes. Hoping to see his friend burst through the trees, but he never came. After 20 minutes of waiting in terror, he drove off, trying not to think of what had just happened to his friend. Once he got home, he immediately called the cops, and searches began. 
However, Milo didn't have many family or friends besides Everett, so the searches didn't last too long. After only a week, they gave up, and Milo's body was never found. I used to live deep in the Santa Cruz Mountains and often hiked and camped there growing up. As a teenager, I went hiking on a secluded trail, and as I often would, I'd take a nap on a sleeping bag I'd bring and take off my shoes and dip my feet in the creek. One day I woke up and my shoes were gone, and in their place was a pile of rocks. I still cannot explain that one, and it still freaks me out. I moved back when I was 25 and rented a small cottage on a very large property far up in the mountains of Bonnie Dune. It was really rural and secluded and pitch black at night. I'd often hear screams of coyotes in the distance. We had some cats on the property that were friendly, and one had a litter of kittens. They were really cute, and I would take them in and feed them. There was a point where I was all alone on the property, and one morning I came out and one of the kittens was laid across my doorstep, dead. No trauma, no sign of anything wrong with it. It wasn't even cold enough for them to freeze. The little kitten I'd played with the day before was dead. This happened for a week until all the kittens were dead and laid somewhere near my door in the morning. I was terrified. Soon after things started disappearing from my cottage, I ended up leaving pretty quickly. I never felt a sense of ease in those woods. They scared me my whole life, and I don't know why. One last creepy Bonnie Dune story. I was driving down to town, a good 20-plus minute drive, around 4 in the morning, and out of nowhere, hear a mountain lion that was bigger. Then a grown man leapt out from the mountain onto the road. As I was driving, and it was the biggest cat I've seen in all my life. And of course I hit it, and it splayed out. And my car at the time had some issues and was known for stalking out. There I am looking right at this pissed off or scared lion unable to get my car to start back up in the pitch black on an empty mountain road in the middle of the woods. I had to call the authorities, but somehow the mountain lion slinked off into the woods and my car decided to start. The sheer panic I felt was insane. When I was very little, like five or six, my dad used to take me on all sorts of adventures through nature, especially when we owned a little cottage up in the Scottish Highlands. Now my dad is sort of a combo Irish bloke, plus Yorkshire lady type of fellow and very spry. Despite his being about 55 at the time, and on this particular occasion had decided we were going to go hiking way up into the cliffs, I was quite happy with this development as it meant a piggyback ride for at least 90% of the difficult bits. This was a proper, proper trick. He wanted to get to one of the highest bluffs so we could have an amazing 360-degree view of the gorgeous meadows and some sparkling sea. But after we reached the top plains, where it's all short, wind-whipped grass and you can see for miles, he suddenly turned very still and very quiet. When you're small, your parents are God, so seeing your dad look frightened is scarier than anything your own mind can come up with. So I was pulling on his arm and going, What? What? My mom is epileptic and I saw her fits when I was a kid, so I thought it was happening to him. Or something similar, and I wouldn't know what to do because we're up on this huge cliff and no one is around. When just as fast as he started it, he snapped out of it. Fireman lifted me right up and just started striding away without a word. Over his shoulder, I could see a big, pale, yellow object stuck into the ground like an obelisk. I know now that it was a refrigerator. When I was older and I asked my dad about it, he stiffened up and told me that when he was a boy in the 50s, he and his little friends had found an old-style fridge in the woods, and being little boys, they opened it. Well, of course, they had found a body... Another child who, by whichever means, had found themselves in the fridge and unable to get out. My dad has never mentioned a gender, which leads me to believe he either witnessed a very decomposed or skeletonized individual. But I can't ask him. 
Remember that episode of The Simpsons where they unlock Homer's PTSD and it turns out he found a dead body when he was a teenager? My dad grew increasingly uncomfortable the first time we saw that episode and had excused himself to the kitchen before the ending. My dad has seen some gnarly shit, but for wherever reason, he will not discuss anything further about this dead child in the fridge, only that it happened. So when he explained, I assumed it was the trauma, and I said something like, Oh, Dad, that's awful. So when you saw the fridge up there, it rang up the old memories, and he honestly looked at me with his big blue eyes like I was an idiot. I'll never forget it. No, Amy, he said in a very low tone. It was because it was the same fridge. Years ago, before we got married, my wife and I went to a local state park with a picnic in a hammock. We set the hammock up in the woods, enjoyed our picnic, then feel asleep together in the hammock. I was abruptly awakened by my wife. She motioned for me to be quiet. The sun had set. There was still a hint of light in the sky, but we couldn't see anything meaningful in the woods. My wife beckoned me to listen. Complete silence. Then the snap of a branch in the distance more silence. We were both suddenly very on edge. We whispered to one another, trying to figure out if someone was sneaking up on us. The silence was broken again. Another branch, same direction, but closer. Then from another direction, a momentary crunch of leaves. Now we were terrified. We both had pocket knives on us, small but better than nothing. We also had a flashlight. We drew our knives and deliberated whether whatever was out there knew our location. We decided to keep the light off, lest we give away our exact location. Maybe we could run for the car, more steps in rapid succession coming directly toward us, then silence again. My wife had enough. We know UFs are out there, she yelled. Silence for an eternity, and then another crunch of leaves. We had enough. We prepared ourselves as best we could for a fight, then shined the flashlight into the darkness. Toward the last noise we had heard, three deer scampered away into the darkness. We sheepishly gathered our things and left without incident. This wasn't on a hike, and this is pretty tame compared to some of these stories, but it's a bit similar. Back in our old place, one night, my girlfriend and I were walking our dogs around the neighborhood. She's a lot smaller, so I was walking two of the dogs, and she was walking one, who was a former service dog. He was a real gentle dog, albeit a bit older. Other than snatching the ball away from the others during fetch, he'd never shown a bit of aggression. I walk a bit ahead of my girlfriend because of the two dogs pulling pretty hard on me, but not too far maybe 10 or 15 feet ahead, but around a corner. As I found out later, she'd slowed down, in part because she'd noticed someone nearby acting strangely, scoping out a house, I think. When he spotted her, he said hi, and she responded in kind. Ask how he was. Before he could answer, the dog she was walking started to growl, and she apologized, commenting that he was a guard dog. The guy looked at her and said, Well... He's doing a good job tonight. She was pretty spooked and hurried to catch up to me. We were more careful on nighttime walks from then on. I used to own an occult bookstore in Westminster, London, UK about 15 years ago. The checkout counter faced opposite the store entrance. It was around noon and there were a few customers checking out. My employee and I were helping customers when I noticed a man in a light sweater walk into the store. He looked normal, but was looking down in front of him. After he entered and walked a few steps towards the bookshelves, he lifted his head a bit, and I caught a glimpse of the side of his face. He then turned his head and looked directly at me like he knew I was watching him. His eyes were as black as night. I was shocked, and I just stared at him. I felt as if I was hit with a bolt of electricity, and my knees weakened. My employee noticed my condition and literally grabbed me before I fell to the floor. I told her I was okay, 
that my blood sugar may have dropped and I need to get something to munch on. I turned my back and walked to the small table behind the counter, but then I heard my employee say, Excuse me, sir. I quickly turned and noticed the black-eyed man standing behind the counter and only a few feet from me. He stared directly at me, not saying a word. I was so frightened and suddenly ran towards the stairs and up into my office, hoping he'd not follow. I heard my employee tell him that she would call the police if he didn't leave. I remained in the office for several minutes. My employee walked halfway up the stairs to check on me, and I asked if he had left. She said that he was gone. I told her to close the store. It was a terrible experience, and I literally feared for my life. I haven't seen any other black-eyed people since then, but I was so affected by that encounter, I decided to sell the business soon afterwards. I just can't explain why I did so, but I feel it was important to not be there any longer. I needed to tell someone about this, mostly to get it off my chest, but also because it's screwed up. As the situation is, it's one of the best stories I've ever heard. I attend a large university in Arizona. I won't say which, but my friends and I were sharing a bottle of Jack the other night when we started sharing stories. Somehow we got on the subject of spooky stories, and it appeared that several of us had a strange occurrence to talk about. Gabriel told us about a weird apartment he and his mother had lived in when they lived in West Virginia. Apparently, his mother had woken him up screaming one night after a dark figure had appeared over her bed and woken her up leering. He had come in to find it melting away into nothing, and the two of them had moved out shortly after. John had told them about a weird deer he'd seen on a hunting trip, and I told them about some sounds I had heard outside my parents' house in Montana throughout my childhood. One of Dad's friends, he was a zoologist or something said they didn't sound like any animal he was familiar with. Dad jokingly asked him if it was a Bigfoot or something, and he never really denied it. He got spooky quiet and just said he wouldn't be caught dead in those woods after dark. We never went camping out there anyway, but certainly never went past the property line after that. I passed the bottle to Samuel, and for once, he actually took a sip. Samuel, Sam for short, had been living in the dorm since before I arrived at the university. He was in his third year and was studying engineering as he worked towards his bachelor's degree. He had told us several stories about growing up in a small town in Mexico and had his uncle to thank for his current status as a student. His uncle was a professor of Spanish studies and antiquities, and he had offered to help his nephew get a student visa so he could do more than drink shitty beer in the local bar and do manual labor his whole life. I opened by saying that it was weird to see Samuel drink, but I don't think you understand how strange. Samuel was our permanent designated driver because in the two years I had known him, I had never so much as seen him touch a bottle of alcohol unless it was to throw it away or take it from us after we'd had enough. He took a moment to collect his thoughts before saying in a hollow voice, I told you all that I grew up in Mexico. We all nodded and he continued, Well, I grew up in this rural little town outside of Hermosillo. It wasn't large. Maybe 8,000 people in the whole town and most of our work came from the processing plant or from the farms that operated around the small town. My mother and I lived there with my abuela and my abuelo, my uncle, living in America and sending money home when he could. My abuelo was a horse breeder, something my family has practiced for generations, and he worked as a stockman for one of the ranches in the area. We weren't quite as well off as the rancher, but we were doing okay. It wasn't a bad life. It was hard, but not without its pleasures. When I was in high school, my friends and I would often go to parties held at the local farms. The rancher's son, Santiago, and I had been friends since we were young, and we hung around with some of the ranch hand sons, Juan, Christopher, and Mateo. We were good friends, probably the best friends I ever had. But one night, we found something that none of us had ever quite believed in. We had all grown up with the stories about La Llorona and El Silban, but my mother always loved to use a certain legend to scare me. 
Lilachusa was a witch who turned herself into some sort of owl demon after her death. She was said to roam the land hunting for drunks or just children out late at night. She would make noises in the night to trick you into opening your windows so she could stuff. Feel your eyes. She would pretend to be a baby to lure you into the woods. She could create thunderstorms and other nasty things and would come to get naughty children if they acted out. La Lechuza was used a lot in my home to get us to do things like chores or homework that we really didn't want to do. By the time I was a teenager, I was kind of done with my mom's scary stories about owl ladies. I was much more interested in drinking with my friends and meeting girls. I was 16 when she caught me on the way out the door. I know where you go on these nights. I beg you not to go out drinking with your friends. I brushed her off, though, saying I was of age, and if I wanted to go hang out with my friends, then I would. And if La Lechuza should happen across your group, I scoffed, telling her that her stories didn't scare me more. That story is what killed your father, she started to say, but I cut off. Dad had died in a drunk driving accident before I was born. He had driven off the road and hit a tree, his car erupting in a ball of fire. There hadn't been anything left to bury, but Mom had insisted that it had been Lala Chusa who had driven him off the road. This had made me even scareder of the creature when I was a kid, but now it just made me mad that she would use my father's death like this. I left without another word, climbing into Santiago's car as it pulled away for the last time. She was standing in the road, crying as we drove off. That image will be scared into my brain until the day I die. We were out late. I couldn't tell you much about the party, just that it was in someone's barn. The beer was hot, the woman lukewarm, and the music was subpar at best. I drank too much trying to get the fight with my mom, and by the time we called it a night, I was well and truly drunk. We climbed into Santiago's car, all of us laughing and tipsy. We started out Santiago managing to keep it on the road as we hooped and whooped in the back seat. He was laughing along with us, turning the music up on the radio. But when he swerved suddenly, we all screamed like banshees. He hauled up back on the road. Mateo opening the window to vomit, and I leaned up as I asked him what was wrong. He looked pale, all the tipsy scared out of him as he stammered, I thought there was an old lady in the road, but when she turned, her body looked wrong. I said how weird it was to see someone so old out that late, when I suddenly yelled for him to look. Something was in the road, and if it was what he had seen before, he had been absolutely right. It was hunched over, a long cloak over its shoulders, and it looked deformed. It turned to look at the car as it barreled forward and I could see piercing red eyes that bore into my soul. I saw it all in the space of five seconds, maybe, but I'll see those eyes till the day I die. Santiago never had a chance to do anything, and we plowed into her doing about 55. The car suddenly stopped dead, and I came to about a minute later. I had boffed my head pretty good on the seat, but one look at Santiago told me I had gotten off lucky. He had slammed into the windshield, breaking his neck and turning his skull into a rotten gourd. The other seemed to be okay, but the car was smoking, and we climbed out as we assessed the damage. The whole front end was smashed in like we had struck a tree or a big rock, but nothing was in the road to be hit. I remembered the old lady and moved off to check the ditches, thinking maybe we had knocked her off the road. The others just milled around not sure what to do, and that's when it happened. Ned, the moon was full that night, or I may very well have missed it. A shadow passed over me, a thing with a wingspan like a condor, and I looked up just in time to see it drop onto my friends as they huddled around the car. It had landed on Juan, breaking his back and riding him to the ground. He screamed, his screams watery and miserable. He wouldn't scream for long, though. The bird dropped its head and began to feed on him, its beak plunging and diving as the other two backed away in horror. When it looked up, face dripping blood and owl eyes glaring at me, I ran, 
I didn't know if the other two ran at that time, but I felt like a mouse who's seen an owl. I ran, still drunk and weaving, and the houses swam up in my peripherals. I could still hear that wet crunching sound as the creature fed, and I stumbled as my feet hit a root. I kept running, kept moving, kept showing my heels as the houses wobbled like an oil painting. I just kept running. Knowing that my house couldn't be far, not noticing the lack of night sounds around me as I ran. When that unearthly screech split the night, I panicked and turned a corner at random. When my foot hit the pothole, I thought for sure I was going to die. My world suddenly exploded with light, and I stumbled back on my hands and butt as a bright something nearly blinded me. I turned, putting my back to those blinding lights, and saw a horror in descent. The headlight spotlighted the owl thing, and as it swooped down on me, I figured this was the end. I closed my eyes, put a hand up to my face, and prepared to die. That's when I heard my mom yelling at the thing. She came out of the car, shouting curses and brandishing a cross on a long silver chain. The owl monster flapped its wings, changing its course and taking off. It screeched loudly, flapping its wings angrily as it took flight again. My mother helped me into the car, and I must have passed out because I woke up in my bed the next morning. I would have believed it was a dream if my mother hadn't told me as she sat at the breakfast table with a plate of food and a pot of coffee. She told me all of it, how the creature had killed my dad one night as he walked home drunk, how Santiago and Juan had been found dead that morning how my other friends had never arrived home. She spelled it all out for me and told me how lucky I was to be alive. She said I had been given a chance and that it was up to me to figure out how to use it. She wasn't happy with my answer after I'd thought about it for a few days, but she understood. I still went to those parties, but I never drank again. Instead, I helped people get home safely. I never saw that creature again but there were nights that I imagined I could feel its hateful stare. I was taking its prey from it, stealing its food, and it never quite forgave me for that. Not a day goes by that I don't think about that night and my friends who died. We sat around, drinking as we listened to his story, a cold chill flowing through us as he told his tale. I'd say this was the end, but it wouldn't do him justice if I did. Three weeks ago, Samuel came to me in tears and told me that his mother was going to die. I sat him down. He was shaking like a leaf and asked him how he could possibly know this. Before that, I hadn't seen him in class for a few days, and he looked tired and rattled. I was in my mother's house, the one she has on my grandparents' property, and I heard her crying. I walked into the living room, and there she was, sitting at the kitchen table. I walked up behind her, putting a hand on her shoulder and asking what was wrong. She grabbed my arm then, and her hand had become clawed. Her head turned around, she screeched at me through the owl beat. Her face had become that of the owl witch, and just before I wake up, she screams my mother's name. I asked him what that meant, and he said, Some people say that seeing her in a dream means that someone you love will die. She screamed my mother's name. I can't ignore that. Three days later, he told me he was returning to his hometown for her funeral. They, they found her in a room. She'd had a heart attack. I need to go home and say goodbye. Will you watch my plants while I'm away? I told him I would, but I think he knew he wasn't coming back. A week ago, I asked his uncle if there was news. He only sighed and told me his nephew was missing. My mother tells me that he went to the house he and his mother had shared, and no one had seen him since. We don't know where he is, but if you're still watering his plants, I'll go pick them up this afternoon. Hopefully, I can give them back to him when he comes back. I don't know what became of Sam, but I pray that the owl witch, Lalachusa, didn't get him. I never saw the thing, but I could smell it and hear it. We had just moved to the Mount Hood National Forest. I worked in Portland and drove 30, 8 miles each way, 5 to 7 days a week. It was around March. I came home around 2 a.m. and had fallen asleep on the couch. The porch light was on. 
There are two doors in the front of my house. One enters into the living room, and the other one enters into the laundry room. We have a carport that covers the laundry room. We have a carport that covers the laundry room entrance, and at the time we had no cover for the front door of the living room. That's the door we always used. This entrance is closer to the embankment that goes up to Highway 26. You can see the tops of trucks going into town from the deck that you stand on to enter the door that is the closest to the side of the house. Twenty-three years ago, we used that as our primary entrance. Anyway, that changed after this night. I pulled in the long driveway and saw nothing out of the ordinary. But when I exited the vehicle, I caught the smell of something that just wasn't quite right. It wasn't quite a skunk or a smelly, musky bear, but more of a dead, rotting odor that was overpowering. Then I heard a grunt sound that I've never heard before or since. It scared me. I know the local wildlife. I grew up here and spent lots of time in the outdoors. I was standing alone in the dark near the forest. The light was just a 60-watt light bulb. I had no gun on me. I was trying to open the door, but my hands were shaking, and I dropped my keys. Meanwhile, menacing sounds started emanating from the forest. I was banging on the door, screaming for my wife to open up. It was hiding in the dark about three-quarters of the way up the bank. From behind the house, I could hear branches snap and heavy footsteps. The sheer speed and size of this thing was evident, even though I couldn't see it. It had covered the distance of maybe forty yards in an instant, while snapping branches and muttering something I couldn't understand. 